From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, pseudoexfoliation, cataract extraction, and IOP. You are irrigating out pigment and loose exfoliation material from within the anterior segment. Um, There is some beneficial mechanical effect right away, coupled with, I think, post-operative inflammation, which acts almost like laser trabeculoplasty acts. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Damji declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Did you know that you can get every episode of As Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing, and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. Glaucoma management is all about probabilities and projections. Frankly, it's difficult enough to project IOP when patients have glaucoma as their only pathology. Thrown to the mix, cataract extraction and therapeutic planning can become quite complicated. Will IOP be affected by the cataract surgery? Should trabeculectomy be performed at the time of cataract extraction? Does it matter if the glaucoma is secondary to pseudoexfoliation? Karim Damji set us straight on SLT and ALT in an earlier podcast, and I'm happy to welcome him back today to elucidate another important issue. Aside from intraocular pressure elevation, with what other ocular conditions is uh, pseudoexfoliation associated? Well, exfoliation syndrome uh, or pseudoexfoliation syndrome, if you like, uh, the term that some people prefer, um, is associated with primarily glaucoma, but aside from that, uh, weak zonules in the eye. And um, some individuals uh, feel that uh, there may be an association with vascular abnormalities too, such as a central retinal vein occlusion or ocular ischemia of the anterior segment. Um, That's the ocular uh, associations uh, that are significant. Um, But uh, systemically, the material is found um, in uh, many organs, uh, including the heart, uh, the liver, uh, lungs, etc., And um, there is a a fair bit of research going on to see if there is a systemic association. And so far, the evidence seems to be pointing towards two areas, uh, perhaps, that need to be studied further. One is a possible vascular association uh, with angina and strokes. And the strongest data there comes out of the Blue Mountain Eye study, uh, looking at those with exfoliation uh, and those without, and the um, historical uh, incidents, if you like, uh, of uh, those vascular events. And that study seemed to be quite convincing. Uh, and then the other um, association seems to be with the uh, central nervous system, uh, uh, things like Alzheimer's disease, but uh, not as convincing evidence. So I think uh, the jury's still out as far as uh, systemic, but with the eye, um, I think the most common things are, are what I mentioned there. And 
The other thing that's interesting is uveitis as well. Um, postoperatively, you can get some uh, additional inflammation because of a weak blood aqueous barrier. How does pseudoexfoliation raise intraocular pressure? Do we know? Um, we do have some evidence uh, to show that uh, elevation in pressure uh, in about 50% uh, of cases of exfoliation uh, is related to um, primarily an open angle mechanism and uh, in uh, some populations uh, possibly an angle closure mechanism as well. Um, and the open angle mechanism is due, uh, we feel, to production of exfoliation um, material uh, within the trabecular meshwork as well as uh, on the lens uh, surface um, behind the iris, etc., and release of pigment from the iris uh, because of uh, ischemia and necrosis of the uh, peripupillary tissue in the iris. So that material, uh, exfoliation material, along with pigment, deposits within the trabecular meshwork and um, causes an intertrabecular obstruction. And then there's a deeper buildup uh, of uh, material within the meshwork uh, that causes an obstruction. In fact, some evidence that uh, juxta uh, that endothelial cells or Schlem's canal may also produce the material. So that's the open angle uh, mechanism. And then the other mechanism at play is angle closure, um, probably in uh, populations where you get um, a little more in the way of uveitis uh, or um, iris ischemia. What seems to happen there is that you get more pupillary block. And weakness of the zonules probably contributes to this and uh, forward movement of the lens, uh, cataract uh, buildup uh, contributes. In total, you get more pupillary block and then an angle closure mechanism. So uh, I think uh, those are primarily the ways that uh, pressure uh, elevation uh, arises. How common is elevated intraocular pressure in pseudoexfoliation? If you look at studies, it differs in different populations, ranging anywhere from 10, 15% in some to almost 50% in, uh, for example, uh, some uh, uh, populations in France and Scandinavia. So the thinking is that uh, the lifetime risk is about 50% um, of developing glaucoma. How common is glaucoma distinct from elevated intraocular pressure in pseudoexfoliation? Interestingly, um, we don't have really good studies on that because um, there aren't that many good population studies. Um, but I would venture to say just from uh, um, some experience and uh, and uh, having been to uh, different countries that uh, such as Iceland, for example, or in uh, India or Tajikistan, etc., that when we do see uh, exfoliation uh, syndrome with elevated pressure, that very often than not it translates into uh, actual glaucomatous optic nerve damage and uh, eventually visual field loss as well. So I can't give you an exact statistic, but um, once you're a glaucoma suspect based on elevated pressure, then there's a fairly high likelihood that you can convert over to uh, frank uh, damage. Is the presentation of glaucoma in pseudoexfoliation different from the presentation in primary open angle glaucoma? Absolutely. Um, what tends to happen is that um, people are often uh, asymptomatic until late stages and uh, the pressure is often much higher. Uh, than primary open angle glaucoma. There's more volatility in pressure uh, fluctuation, both uh, intraday as well as uh, intravisit fluctuation. And uh, there seems to be a more advanced optic nerve damage at the time of uh, presentation. So that uh, is uh, quite different. The other thing that's interesting is that 
often uh, the presentation is heavily unilateral. And we know from pathological studies that uh, you can see exfoliation material in the, um, on the surface of the lens, for example, or in the ciliary body of the fellow eye. Uh, when, even when you can't appreciate it clinically, it's present pathologically in the fellow eye. But in the eye that is, uh, has clinically visible pseudo-X uh, and heavier deposition of pseudo-X, uh, the pressure is, off, pressure is often much higher. And um, and then there's a chance, um, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 20 to 30 percent of converting uh, to a bilateral presentation over the years. But often it's uh, heavily unilateral, which again is quite different from most uh, POAG cases. We're going to be talking about intraocular pressure changes in pseudoexfoliation patients after cataract extraction. What happens after cataract extraction in patients with primary open ankle glaucoma? A number of studies uh, have been done to look at just the effect of cataract surgery in primary open angle glaucoma, and generally um, the studies seem to indicate that there is very little in the way of a pressure drop, perhaps a one or two millimeter drop uh, or no drop at all. With cataracts, uh, patients alone who don't have glaucoma, there's also a slight pressure drop, but not much. Can I get you to describe the design of this study? We uh, included um, patients over age 50 with open angles conioscopically and um, who had evidence of uh, pseudoexfoliation and visually significant cataract uh, requiring phacoemulsification. Um, and um, that was uh, the case group. And the exfoliation uh, patients, um, many of them did not have glaucoma, but uh, some did have glaucoma, so we included both types. Uh, and these were consecutive patients. The control group consisted of either patients who were normotensive and who had no evidence of glaucoma, just simply patients with visually significant cataracts who were undergoing phacoemulsification. Uh, but we also included a second control uh, of patients with primary open angle glaucoma who were undergoing only cataract surgery. And um, our hypothesis here really is that exfoliation patients uh, would have a greater drop in pressure compared to those um, who don't have exfoliation, uh, primarily because we thought uh, at that time that there would be um, a loss of iridolenticular friction. In other words, um, our feeling is that a fair bit of pigment and exfoliation material is released because of interaction of the lens surface and the uh, peripupillary region posterior surface of the iris and that you'd have much less of that once the lens was out and you had a pseudophagic uh, situation. What were your main outcome measures for this study? So the primary goal um, was to look at the effect of cataract surgery um, and the change in pressure from baseline over a two-year period. Uh, so it was the two-year time point that we were interested because we wanted to check sufficiently far out to make sure that if there was an effect that it was a sustained effect. Can I get you to talk about the demographics of the study population? The study population, um, basically, um, overall, um, the exfoliation group, uh, if we can lump the patients with and without glaucoma in exfoliation together for a moment, were around uh, 76 years old on average. The non-exfoliation group, um, again, those with cataract only, uh, as well as cataract and primary open angle glaucoma, about 74 years old. And the baseline pressure uh, in the exfoliation group was around 17.6 millimeters. In the non-exfoliation, about 16 millimeters. And uh, the gender distribution uh, was somewhat similar as well. There were more women 
in uh, both groups. But again, no significant differences really there in uh, the baseline values. Does severity of pseudoexfoliation increase with age? It does um, based on other studies um, because it is an age-related phenomenon. So first of all, the prevalence uh, increases uh, considerably in various studies um, in some populations uh, as high as uh, 30 to 40% after age 70 uh, in terms of exfoliation. And the it seems like, um, and Bob Rich has done some study uh, on this, that the heavier the deposition of exfoliation material that's clinically visible, the worse the glaucoma as well. So um, it does seem to increase with age, yes. What cataract technique was employed? They were all, um, all the surgeons uh, in Ottawa, New York, and in Greece utilized uh, standard fake emulsification technique um, and put in a, a lens of their choice, in most cases um, polymethyl methacrylate, uh, in some cases acrylic or silicone. What were the results of your study? I think the findings um, are best presented uh, in two ways. One is looking at exfoliation uh, group overall compared to the non-exfoliation and then look at a subgroup analysis. Let me start with um, the exfoliation group overall. By day one, uh, the pressure had actually gone up on average about three and a half millimeters. Um, and there were a fair number of um, people that uh, had pressure spikes um, in the neighborhood of around 34% actually in the exfoliation group. And by that, I mean a rise of six millimeters or more uh, after surgery. Over time, um, and by six weeks, for example, the pressure had dropped about two millimeters um, on average in the exfoliation group, and by six months, about three and a half millimeters. That seems to be about the maximum drop, and then at one year, the drop was 2.6 millimeters, and at two years, uh, 2.5 millimeters uh, lower than baseline. In the non-exfoliation group, uh, we had a slight rise on day one uh, to about 1.9 millimeters uh, above baseline, and about 25% of those patients uh, spiked uh, compared to the 34%. That really wasn't a significant uh, difference, uh, interestingly. Um, and then um, over time, the drop uh, at six weeks in the non-exfoliation group was about minus 1.7 millimeters. At six months, 1.3 millimeters lower than uh, baseline. By one year, about a millimeter. And by two years, about uh, 0.9 millimeters lower than baseline. The numbers uh, six months uh, and on, so six months, one year, two years, are statistically different in the two groups. The exfoliation group dropped uh, considerably more. And so um, that's really the sort of overall finding. And um, in terms of a subgroup analysis, I think the most interesting uh, data there is that if you look at those with pseudoexfoliation, actually I'm using the terms interchangeably now, but exfoliation alone uh, versus cataract, uh, patients without glaucoma. At two years, the drop in the uh, exfoliation group was minus 1.85 millimeters uh, versus minus 0.62 millimeters in the cataract group. Those with pseudoexfoliation glaucoma um, dropped the greatest, in fact, about three millimeters um, by uh, uh, two-year time point. And uh, the POAG group, the primary open angle glaucoma group, dropped about minus one and a half millimeters in comparison. So you had almost twice as much drop there in the exfoliation glaucoma group. Now, in those groups, uh, exfoliation glaucoma and POAG, our numbers are smaller, about 29 patients uh, in each arm. Whereas in the um, exfoliation only and cataract control only, 
Uh, we're talking about 42 patients uh, and uh, 83 patients respectively. So um, I think um, one has to sort of uh, take the sub-analysis um, with a little bit of uh, uh, a skeptical eye because of the small numbers, but certainly uh, the statistics um, seem to indicate that there's quite a significant difference there. Were there factors during surgery that played a role in postoperative pressure drop? We looked at that, and I mean, the, the three predictors, the three main predictors of pressure drop were, number one, the presence of exfoliation. Number two, the baseline pressure. The higher you started, uh, the more of a drop you had. And uh, the third, and perhaps the most interesting um, finding, uh, I think, uh, is that the drop in pressure correlated um, in a multivariate model to the irrigation volume used at the time of surgery. What we did is we measured the bag with balanced salt, uh, the weight of the bag before and after surgery to see how much fluid we'd utilized. And uh, it turns out that the more fluid you utilized, um, the greater the drop in pressure in the exfoliation um, patients. And so I thought that was a very interesting finding. Do you think that that's because the pseudo-exfoliative material is literally being washed out? Well, we don't actually know, and uh, we're doing another study to look at that. But um, there's uh, three hypotheses, if you will. The first is, uh, and Bob Rich's favorite hypothesis, uh, is uh, that there is loss of irritable lenticular friction, and that's really the key. And this irrigation um, volume may not play that much of a role. Um, the second uh, which I, hypothesis which I favor is that you are irrigating out pigment and loose exfoliation material from within the anterior segment um, and perhaps even uh, from um, you know, intertrabecular spaces in the meshwork so that um, there is some beneficial mechanical effect right away coupled with, I think, um, post-operative inflammation which acts almost like laser trabeculoplasty acts to um, send in cytokines, uh, macrophages, um, perhaps matrix metalloproteinases and other physiological processes that essentially flush out the meshwork and give you an enhanced trabecular outflow uh, or perhaps even a, an enhanced uveous curl outflow. So um, I sort of favor a mechanical combined with some biological explanation. What we're doing at the moment is doing a separate study uh, irrigating patients with exfoliation syndrome at the start of cataract surgery and uh, looking at the protein uh, quantity and composition that is irrigated out before we actually enter the lens um, and then comparing that to controls to see if um, the uh, protein hypothesis or the irrigation of material hypothesis has any uh, weight. How long does the intraocular pressure decrease last after surgery? Well, in our study, the um, drop uh, did seem to last out to two years, and uh, the duration is not known. So one would have to carry the study forward in time or do an, uh, additional studies to look at the duration. I think um, one thing that um, all of us uh, who treat exfoliation patients know is that they can come back at any time with a sudden precipitous rise in pressure, sudden worsening of the glaucoma so that um, one shouldn't uh, completely rest at ease if the pressure does come down. Uh, it still is important and incumbent to follow these patients on a regular basis, uh, in my mind, uh, once every six months at least. And if the glaucomatous uh, nerve damage is more severe than perhaps every three or four months. Were there factors that predicted a more favorable, a larger pressure drop uh, after cataract surgery? The only things that really correlated uh, well in certain patients were the phaco time um, and the irrigation volume. Now, those two are partly interlinked, right? 
So in the multivariate analysis, um, irrigation volume held up as the strongest uh, predictor, but phaco time uh, also uh, was important. So essentially, the more time you spend in the eye, uh, the greater the uh, pressure drop in the exfoliation patients. But other than that, uh, we didn't have any other factors, um, demographic factors, uh, age, gender, etc., that uh, medication use that predicted uh, drop. What influence have these findings had in your own practice? Well, they have altered the practice uh, for me slightly. Um, I think when I have an exfoliation uh, glaucoma patient, I think the key thing that this study helps us with is that if you have an exfoliation glaucoma patient with cataract that is visually significant, should you do just cataract surgery alone or should you combine it with uh, trabeculectomy, for example? And if I have exfoliation uh, glaucoma patients that have a fairly healthy optic nerve or just mild or moderate damage to the optic nerve. And if their pressure is reasonably controlled with a couple of medications uh, or if there's kind of borderline control of pressure, uh, the study really helps me in saying that if I can get them through that initial pressure spike and do cataract surgery alone, uh, there is a reasonably good chance that the pressure will come down um, by two, three millimeters um, and uh, that, that would help me um, so, uh, help the patient so that they can avoid the trabeculectomy and uh, continue on with um, an operation that's simpler and less complicated, uh, potentially less complications. Um, so it gives you a margin of comfort and safety, I think, uh, in sort of a medium term for these patients. Again, we don't know quite how long the beneficial effect lasts, but, but uh, it certainly gives you some uh, comfort there. The difficult part, of course, uh, is that if you have a patient um, with exfoliation glaucoma that has advanced optic nerve damage um, and uh, may or may not have poor pressure control, then I think most of us uh, in that situation would still go ahead with combined cataract and a trabeculectomy or some other combination operation um, because we'd be worried about pressure, uh, sustained pressure rises and uh, threat to fixation. So. I think uh, trabeculectomy still would ensure a better quality of sort of short and midterm um, pressure control rather than cataract alone. So I think the key value of the study is uh, in that group with um, without a threat to fixation who have exfoliation glaucoma and their pressure may be borderline uh, or a little bit high and you're wondering should you do a trabeculectomy or not and I think uh, just doing cataract surgery alone um, seems to have uh, value if their angles are open. Of course, if the angles are narrow or occludable, you may have another mechanism at play which also improves once you take the lens out if you release pupillary block. But our study uh, was uh, just in open angle patients. That's exactly what I was going to ask next. Where do you draw the line in deciding whether to do cataract surgery and then sort of wait and see and do the trabeculectomy in a stage fashion or when you decide to bite the bullet and actually do combined uh, surgery, cataract and trib at the same time? I think the, the, only, right, the only other thing I would add is that um, if the optic nerve is not too badly damaged, the visual field is not too badly damaged in these exfoliation uh, glaucoma patients, one could try and optimize control uh, with uh, argon laser or selective laser trabeculoplasty, for example, uh, medication, and then um, just go ahead with uh, cataract surgery alone. But even if the pressure is a bit high, um, this uh, study seems to indicate that it should come down some. Um, just with the cataract alone. So I think that's the real value. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Kareem? 
Thanks for asking, Josh. The only thing that um, I would like to add is that um, the study really began through discussions uh, within the Lindbergh Society. Uh, Lindbergh was the individual in 1917 uh, that published his thesis and described pseudoexfoliation um, very elegantly. And um, it was actually uh, a discussion uh, that Bob Rich, uh, myself, um, Tassos Constas, and others were having one day um, and then decided to do this study a number of years ago. It's a multi-center study, and I just wanted to acknowledge um, my co-authors. Um, so in addition to the University of Ottawa, uh, where I'm from, and Dr. Bill Hodge, George Menzoulis, Andrew Merker, and uh, Irene Panner from we also had uh, from the uh, Aristotle University in Greece, Dr. Konstas uh, and Dr. Ziakis and uh, Giannikakis. And then from the um, New York Eye and Ear Infirmary, we had uh, Dr. Jeff Liebman and uh, Dr. Bob Rich. So uh, it really has been a multi-center effort uh, in order to generate enough um, patients and data. And uh, I just want to acknowledge um, the co-investigators. Karim, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Kareem Damji is Residency Program Director at the University of Ottawa Eye Institute at the Ottawa Hospital in Ottawa, Ontario. His paper, Intraocular Pressure Following Phacoemulsification in Patients with and Without Exfoliation Syndrome, a two-year prospective study, appears in the August 2006 issue of the British Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Damji or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275. Or Skype, J Young MD. Those numbers can be found on our website, as seenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.